You're listening to Angus Underground, featuring insight, opinion, and answers to the questions on everyone's mind. Prepare to be educated, entertained, and empowered with insight, news, and conversation with today's newsmakers. From the well-known to the not-so-well-known, raise your flag and join the revolution as your hosts, David, Joe, and Corbin, take you underground. Welcome to the underground. I'm sitting here in uh, northwest Montana. I believe in the last episode, I said it was springtime here. Nah, that's ended. It's back to winter. So we've got white stuff. We've got a lot of wind. Yeah, Mother Nature is still in charge. How's it down the liberal bastion of California, Joe? It's great. I actually, I had a whirlwind tour today. I got up this morning and Vince Santini, this is Angus Underground bringing us together, right? Some guy from Atlanta called Vince looking for cattle that live not far from me. So puts us all together. Five hours to the West I go and actually found some rain. So that was cool. It's it's been interesting here. I mean, we're we're due to get between two and four inches of rain over the next three days, and like our growing season is over. So everybody's like, "Well, it's we'll take it how we can get it, right?" I mean, it's going to help the moisture content of our irrigated pastures. We should probably mention, David, you're set up for it, and you're you're not calving because you're smart. But there's a lot of people dealing with some tough stuff right now in the Dakotas. They're getting slammed. Oh man, I don't know some of those people. I mean, I talked to Aaron and. And I talked to Ross and it seems like those guys got kind of just the tail end of what looked tough, but there's some guys getting pounded, especially those that are trying to calve a little later and not have those older calves and are calving right now. Our prayers and thoughts go out to those folks for sure. I know our good friends are at Brown's Angus Ranch. Jeez, what town are they near? Center maybe? Yeah, they are right in the bullseye of that storm and been looking at the video and pictures on social media that they put up. My Gosh, what a lot of snow, but they got out ahead of it, drew the cows in close. They've got some pretty good shelter there. I think they're going to ride the storm out, but the real silver lining to all this is at least they will have some spring grass now. I can tell you the last two weeks I've been over there delivering bulls into North Dakota, South Dakota. Each of those trips, I'm having to go through Eastern Montana. I mean, when we say record-breaking historic drought, that doesn't sell it. I mean, that's an understatement of epic proportions. When you're seeing dust blowing in February and March and April in these locations, I mean, it's it's not setting up to be a real favorable time for these folks. I want to make sure all of our listeners, if you're outside of those areas, and I know we all deal with different things that Mother Nature throws our way, but we've got to keep those folks in our prayers. You know, when we look back to 2021, and that was a historic drought here in Montana, the number I kept hearing was 40% of the cows in Montana left. That's a huge, huge number. But when you when you stop and consider, well, they've got no moisture all last fall, this winter, heading into spring, and you go, what's it going to look like a year from now? If 40% left last year, so we're hoping that this record-breaking April blizzard that we're seeing here in the Northern Plains brings some relief to these folks. They'll at least have some spring grass, and we hope that it flips the script and, and the rain starts coming behind this snow. So let's keep all those folks in our thoughts and prayers. 
Corbin, what's it like down in Oklahoma? I know it's starting to dry out in the Southern Plains as well. Well, in an effort to sympathize with those that are up north, I've talked to multiple people up there and what they told me was, was, man, you know what? I'd take having to go around next week picking up dead calves so that we could get some spring grass. And that's the type of situation they're in. And it's awful. So it's been kind of dry here. We've had some rains. Actually, in the last week, we've got wet. You know how that goes, though. In two weeks, we could be in a drought. That's just the way it goes here in Oklahoma in the summertime. We had baseball-sized hail yesterday for about 20 minutes. You know, it's, it's just you just never know what you're going to get in this part of the world. But as far as that goes, we're just thankful for the moisture any way we can get it. You know, I know a lot of guys would kill for baseball-sized hail. That's the place that they're at. So, I don't know. I just feel for those guys. Wow. Yeah, indeed. You brought up a good point there. As I was delivering bulls in uh, South Dakota and Nebraska last week, I heard this multiple times with these ranchers. I almost felt bad. I mean, these are bulls that we sold last November. Okay. So we've wintered these bulls and we offer uh, wintering on certain bulls if they meet certain conditions. And But I almost felt bad delivering these bulls because these guys are feeding $300 ton hay. A lot of them have shipped their cows outside of the region. A lot of their cows are sitting in feedlots. Some will be shipped back into the Dakotas for calving. Some are going to calve right in the feedlots. I mean, it's pretty astounding when you stop and think about it. But I heard this on multiple occasions, the quote, the only thing that can save us is a calf-killing blizzard. Well, South Dakota's not getting it. (laughs) I hate to say it's unfortunate because no one wants to lose calves in a blizzard, but they're not getting it. It seems that that storm's staying up north into North Dakota. South Dakota, they're just getting the wind, the associated wind with that blizzard. But it's a tough situation they're in, and this is the one thing you can count on. Farmers and ranchers are the most resilient people in our society. I mean, they deal with with more ups and downs than any other walk of life. The majority of them uh, come through unscathed. They come through with a lesson. They come through stronger than ever before. So we're going to count on that. Don't waste time tending to back rubbers and ear tags. With Altosid IGR, you will get consistent horn fly control without changing what you're already doing, feeding your cattle. With this premix feed through, you won't be measuring fly control into cattle minerals. You'll be measuring added weight gains. Altosid IGR passes through cattle and into manure where horn flies lay eggs, preventing adult flies that interfere with cattle health and profitability. Turn to Altosid IGR for horn fly specific control year after year to stop changing fly control products each season. And unlike ear tags and sprays that require the effort of handling cattle, Altosid IGR spreads as your cattle graze with no known resistance and still only two to three cents per head per day. Make Altosid IGR the only choice for your mineral supplement. Contact your feed dealer today or go to altosidigr.com. So we're about a week after our last episode aired as we're recording this. And our last episode, it was titled, It's a Fake World. And by the way, I, I think we just started scratching the surface on that topic. That could have been about a four or five parter, at least in my mind. And it was certainly controversial. I like to think everything we said was true. At least it's true in our opinion. But what I wasn't prepared for was the 
absolute avalanche of positive feedback we've received here in the last week. I mean, it started immediately. These podcasts drop every other Friday morning at midnight. And uh, I can tell you what, by 7 a.m., my phone was blowing up with texts and calls and messages on social media. The outpouring of, of support and feedback was astounding. I want to take just a few minutes. I've got a short list here. I'm going to run through some of these. And by the way, if you're not a member of the uh, Angus Underground community on Facebook, I want to urge you to join that. Because not only do we discuss some of the, the same topics or the episodes that we have, but a lot of folks, you're welcome to come on there and post any question or topic that comes to your mind. It could be uh, something very simple. It could be something very difficult. But we've got a lot of smart minds in that community. They're not afraid to share their opinions. <laughs> As we said on that last episode, everybody's an expert on social media. But I want to point out a few people. Uh, Rob Spencer from down in Nebraska, just outside of McCook. Rob and I, we've had a couple of phone calls here in the last week, 10 days. What a lovely, lovely gentleman. <laughs> we're sharing a lot of ideas and concepts. And I think we're building a relationship that I uh, already treasure. Stacy Stauffer from Alberta shot me a couple of texts today. Thank you, Stacy. Josh Eves from Oklahoma. That's Corbin's neighbor, actually. Josh and his family run a great Angus operation there in Lehigh, Oklahoma. Thanks for the encouragement. Kane Stevenson from Utah. Thanks for the encouragement. Clark Rainey from Georgia. Clark Rainey actually uh, sent us a message. Loved the episode. And he actually, he wanted to hear more about culling. And that's my favorite topic. So, Clark, if you're listening to this episode, you can count out. We're going to circle back to that topic because I think right now, right now especially, we've got a high cattle market. We've got a lot of environmental pressure, you know, from drought and blizzard. Now's the time to take advantage. We actually heard from one of the uh, board of directors from American Angus. Loved the last episode. He thought we were spot on. I quizzed him pretty hard on it. And he said... I didn't really find anything that I uh, disagreed with. So thanks for reaching out to us. Thomas Winbush from Tennessee. Always a pleasure to hear from Thomas. Sally Beavers, that's Ian's lovely bride from Australia. She reached out and she said, hey, we're going through the same thing here in Australia. And we're starting to see the tide turn. They're starting to see through the fake world. And they're starting to get a little momentum on breeding better cattle there in Australia. Bryson Bell from South Carolina reached out. Joe actually visited with him via direct message. Bryson wants to talk about vaccines. And I'm going to take just a minute here to talk about vaccines. Listen, I've been in this my whole life. I've got opinions on vaccines. But at the end of the day, what I've chosen to do is I have a relationship with Zoetis. We're part of that Leader's Edge program that they offer. They give us volume discounts. You know, we make a commitment to buy so many dollars of product a year. And by the way, they're a great, great company. They back up their product with what I call an ironclad guarantee. And we're not paid to promote Zoetis tonight, but I love their program. They have vets on call. I can pick up the phone and say, hey, we've got a little outbreak of respiratory going here. Here's our vaccine protocol. What do you think? And they've always been very responsive. So I actually tossed the ball back to Zoetis and I said, design a program that fits us. And they've done that. They've made a couple of modifications over the years, but that would be my counsel to everyone. Work with your vet, work with a vaccine company like that, and they will custom fit a program that suits your needs. 
you just tell them what you need. Tell them what your concerns are, what your health problems have been in the past. I assure you, they'll jump right on it and make it all work for you. I want to dovetail, though, off of your vaccine thing, because my initial knee jerk to the gentleman that had the question was, boy, we could fold vaccines right into fake world. I mean, there is so much propaganda out there and so much misinformation and so much marketing edge placed on other things. And our whole point of the last podcast was grow your network, figure out who those people are that you can trust and who will be there to take care of it when you have problems. And and I found the same with different resources as well, David. The best thing is to develop a relationship. And we can dive a little deeper into that if you'd like. First off, though, I'm going to go back and I'm not going to share who this is from. And I know somebody's going to say, that's chicken ass, these anonymous quotes. I don't have permission to share this. I don't have permission. It's a personal text. But I will tell you that this person's name is going to be in the names that I thank later on who reached out to me. Here's the quote. Thanks for taking the time for the conversation. The podcast has really been like a godsend for me. The information has helped me in so many ways. The anxiety of deciding what is the path to go down with breeding can take the fun right out of it. I think that's something when we decided to do this podcast that we really wanted to bring and we have a chance to bring in our guest. Hopefully he'll shine some light on just sharing the truth, the truth that we've experienced without the propaganda, pulling back the cover. That's why it's called Angus Underground. It's not to undermine anybody. It's to say, what is the real conversation going on in industry? Who are the people who maybe aren't the loudest, but are the ones who are getting it done every day? And one thing I'd say before I get into the list of people, David and Corbin, this is the very first time I feel like, I'll be honest with you guys, we've been in a bit of an echo chamber. We have the same people who listen. We have, we have a big base. It's big, but it's the same people generally. I've not seen a wider swath of satisfied listeners than the last episode we had. People who breed for numbers, people who breed for maternal, terminal, Everybody who actually took the time to listen to the words coming out of our mouth and not get baited in with clickbait headlines were okay with what we had to say. There was nothing propagandized. There was nothing attacking anybody. It was almost a, a state of the breed, like a state of the union, evaluating where we're at and evaluating the information available to breeders. And if anything, we point the finger right at ourselves and say that is the source as breeders of the things that we get critical of in this breed. The people I want to thank, Austin Lee. Austin's listened for a long time. Friends with Corbin, friends with me as well. I'll butcher it. I think it's Venita, Oklahoma, or is it Benita? Benita, Venita. It doesn't matter, does it, Corbin? Benita. Venita, okay. It does matter. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Parker, my friend from Enterprise Oregon, referenced Jeff talking about uh, body condition scores. He called David gullible because he said he wouldn't think that if David knew him that well, he'd say he's that smart of a guy. I, I disagree. Jeff is super, super bright. And he's always got something really interesting to share in a different twist. A guy cabin in the snow and, and on a tight, tight calving window and limited labor and just doing things. And look at that. If you hear my phone ringing, that's Thomas Winbush right there. He's probably hanging out with David Yackley in the insurance office, and they aren't doing anything but harassing. I'm turning my phone off. <laughs> Get ready. Cody Pig from Iron City, Tennessee. Cody, thanks for always reaching out. Have very nice things to say. Bud and Bernie Copel. I'm certain that Bernie was driving the decision to listen to the podcast. I'm not going to say it was Bud, but, uh, you know, dear, dear friends of all of ours, we've made that no secret. But the things that Bud said and how genuine he was in support, you guys know, you all know how busy Bud Copel is. He didn't have time for podcasts. And he took the time to say, hey, guys, I, I really enjoyed those last two episodes, the interview with Mark, and then and then the latest fake world one was really good. And, and thank you guys for listening. Randall Upchurch was listening today, and I can assure 
assure you, Randall, by listening to our podcast, your EPDs will not drop. No, they won't. That's misinformation. And we only bring truth to this uh, platform. How many chicken farms did he sell today? He didn't get into that. I think he was probably at some roadhouse ordering biscuits and gravy or something. That's what he does. He sells chicken farms and then he goes to breakfast with Vince. And Jake McCalb. Jake, if I'm saying your last name incorrectly, Jake bought a couple lots at Vince's sale last week. By the time this airs, it'll be three weeks ago. Was really excited about those. We had a really, really nice visit. And he uh, also thanked us for providing this platform to listen and learn. So that's my thank yous. Those are the folks that reached out to us. And again, I just want to reiterate, we hit all ends of the spectrum on that last one. So I mean, some people could say we're equal opportunity offenders, but I think we'd take the positive side and say that it provided some useful information for folks. And that's what we've always aimed to do. Well, I've got a little bit different list of here, but the first thing I want to say to everyone is I know a lot of people try to reach out to me and I'd like to think I'm really busy. So I have a hard time getting back to you guys. I'm very apologetic for that. He's busy chasing goats and pigs. (laughs) We've got a funny farm here that I have to tend to and a funny kid that I have to chase around all the time. But it did look good in eyeshadow, though. I saw the eyeshadow she put on you. That was nice. She did. (laughs) Yeah. I sent a video on Snapchat of Myla and my niece chasing cows together. That was my nieces, both of them. And they were moving cows for me last weekend. And and man, it's just so much fun having those kids involved. But Mike Gleason reached out to us today and it was really funny. He sent me a message and he said, which one of you guys has a hand in the show ring? And I told him it was Joe. And he said, he's probably a blow monkey like my son. My son's still a blow monkey. So (laughs) I found that really funny. I was like, Boxel, Boxel. (laughs) Yeah. Boxel manufacturing. Yeah. Dalton Jackson always has the uh, most interesting questions. And I had this question quite a few times from quite a few people. Which bull were you talking about in the last episode? Well, Uh, yeah, we had several of those. I'll tell you guys what, if you guys ask me personally, I'll come up with a different answer for each one of you as it fits, (laughs) give you some insight into what's in my brain. But Kevin DeLue. All right. So Kevin's trying to get his own podcast started. I encourage you guys to go listen. Give this guy a chance. He may have something to say that differs from what you've heard in the past, or maybe you guys will resonate. You know, give him a chance. The last name I want to mention is Tyler Scales, and that's because ELK sales coming up. And Tyler always gives me so much feedback. Tyler and I talk all the time. You guys give his bulls a look. He's got a really good set of bulls. They're ripping good. And he's got something that's a little bit different from what you may have, you know, May 4th late. I know some of you guys maybe need to turn out and you might be a bull short. Give his bulls a look, man. There's a good set of bulls there. BLK Angus is offering range-ready yearling Angus bulls at their May 4th sale south of Buffalo, Wyoming. Raised at the base of the Bighorn Mountains in rocks, sagebrush, and high country, ELK Angus produces genetics that not only thrive in big country, but also perform with the best of them as feeders in the Midwest. If you're looking for bulls that make problem-free cattle with longevity, fertility, and performance, visit ELK Angus on May 4th for their annual bull sale. Highlights include Sons of Baldrich Pappy, MAR Innovation, Sits Thunderball, and BR MVP. Find the catalog online at elkangus.com. Viewing of the bulls begins at 10 a.m. on May 4th. Lunch served at noon, followed by the auction at 1 p.m. Online bidding is available through DV Auction. Range proven, cow powered, focused on the future, ELK Angus.
I'm glad you brought that up because that segues perfectly into the next little segment I have. If you listen to the last episode, you'll notice that we brought some new sponsors on. I want to thank these sponsors. Okay. This is not a sales pitch or anything, but these podcasts are actually quite expensive to uh, produce. We rely on sponsorship to get these out. Quite frankly, we want to get to the point eventually, if, if we can find time, to do these more often. But we're 100% reliant on sponsors to help offset the cost in this. And, and if you listened last time, you heard a new ad, new sponsor, Central Life Sciences. This is a product I really, really believe in, the Clarifly Larvicide. And I hope that we're going to have these folks on next week because the science behind this is really, really cool. I mean, it is fantastic. We use it here. I'm going to tell you what, we went from back rubs to foreign cattle constantly and still battling flies. So you go out there now and there's very few flies. And it's as simple as dumping a bag of mineral out. We're going to do that regardless. And if we can gain some protection from flies in the process, then that's super. And then I want to double back to what Corbin just brought up. Tyler Scales at ELK Angus. He came online last week with an ad for his May 4th bull sale. That is coming up. What a neat set of bulls. I did take the time to kind of preview what he's selling. They're different pedigrees, but they're all based on good cows behind these bulls. And I think that we see young people coming online with stuff like that. They keep the cow as the main thing, but they've got a little different twist on the pedigrees. And I think that's what we need in the Angus breed. And then, of course, while we're mentioning sponsors, our longtime, many-time sponsors, gmbrokers.com. It's the middle of semen season, breeding season. Log on there. I know that they're getting new listings each and every day. That's a really neat concept. Go check them out. And then our good friends, Robert and Lex down at Breeder Link, those guys are moving a pile of semen this spring, doing a great, great job. I want to circle back to something Joe brought up. So we're recording this oh, 10 days ahead of when it airs, but our good friend and many times sponsor, Vince Santini down at Shady Brook Angus in Tennessee, just had his annual production sale and what a great sale it was. I tuned in for the whole sale, watched it online, and uh, I would have to say that's one of the best sales he's had in several years. I think it's really reflective of the vision that he has. I mean, this guy's putting together some really, really good cows, different pedigrees, we want to congratulate Vince on a great, great sale. Yeah, it's one of those things too. It's just like Tyler's. It's a guy that's put a different spin and put his artist stroke on the painting, right? I mean, he's decided what he wants to do and he's doing it. And that's why I admire Vince and admire Tyler. And I'd add with Tyler, I think he's mostly uh, from the commercial world, right? And decided to start making cattle that fit the commercial world. And yeah. I just, I like seeing that passion in young breeders and that's exciting. And that's a tough country he runs in, my friends. It is. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> going back to what we had talked about earlier, they've got some really big snow drifts going on too. He's down there in Wyoming. Yes. They're getting some of that big storm too. So hopefully for those guys, and I know he was actually getting started breeding and stuff, but hopefully just power through. We've got grass coming and, and be thankful for the moisture for those guys in that state of Wyoming too. And the last thing I wanted to mention, a good friend of mine, Bryant Vaught in Missouri, he has really honed into this bull development deal. It's something that I'm really passionate about too. And it's something David brought up. We really wanted to get into an episode where we really discuss, like if there's something that a listener comes at us time and time again, and they really want to get into, we've really got to make the time and, and do an episode just on this stuff. There's some stuff people really want to hear. And we plan on taking that time to do that. 
yeah, I guarantee you tune back in here in May and and we'll have an episode that's solely dedicated to those questions, those topics that our listeners are giving us feedback on. And I encourage you, go to the community page, create a post with a topic or question that you may have, and we will dang sure make note of it and we'll get it on the air. So we've been bloviating here <laughs> quite a bit. And I feel bad because we've got one of the neatest, most interesting, most diverse guests waiting in the wings that we've ever had. I could give an introduction that goes on for 10 minutes here, okay? That's how diverse this next guest is. But he's a personal friend of mine. He's also a customer, most importantly. (laughs) But I want to bring in good friend, George Chambers of the Southern Cross Ranch in Carrollton, Georgia. George, come on in the underground. Thank you for having me. Well, you're one guest that you know, over the last several years, you and I have had some just really cool discussions about not only Angus cattle, but the cattle industry, about a lot of different things. And I think that stems from your very diverse background, and we're going to get into all that. But George, tell us about the Southern Cross Ranch. Okay, David, thanks, guys. I'm glad to finally see you all face to face. have been first-time listener, long-time caller, so to speak. But, you know, gosh, I mean, we're a seventh-generation operation, Caleb and Taylor, my two children, Caleb, our son, and Taylor, our daughter. They're the eighth generation that will live here on this ranch. We're just real blessed to be able to do so. Kind of like what Vince said in one of your prior interviews. I mean, we sort of see the same thing that they do as far as same challenges, the mud, fescue, things of that nature. But we're just super, super blessed to be here. We've held this thing together, and I hope we can continue to do so. David, you and I talked about this last week, the first time I met you. Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I was going to dive into it, didn't I? Circle G Ranch, Hampton, Georgia, was having their dispersal. And they called up to the college and said they need some help for the dispersal. And the college sent me down there because... For whatever reason, I guess because I own a set of shears or whatever, but they sent me down there. There was two shoots running, and fortunately, I showed up on a Sunday night, went to work Monday morning, and I went to work uh, across the second shoot from... Be easy now. Be easy. <laughs> I'm going to be I told you. I told you I would be easy. Went to work across the shoot from a pretty good looking guy. I mean, he was starched. He had a got a half mullet, whatever. <laughs> Did he have like the tearaway pants, you know, like the ones that they wear that they don't get their feet wet and stuff? You know, actually he didn't, but he had the most starch shirt and the most starch wranglers I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and his flat bill hat would not move, ladies and gentlemen. You don't put a hat on a mullet, okay? <laughs> you let the mullet just fly in the wind, okay? Yeah. Oh, boy. You don't screw with a hat. Come on. I'm going to have to ask producer Shauna for some video evidence. I need video. I'm not even photo <laughs> evidence. I need the video of that hair blowing in the wind. That's the man she married, though. Not the freaking half bald guy now. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, grew up showing steers and heifers and wasn't very successful. When I refer to my dad, Alvin Chambers, we called him Papa. And my mom, Virginia, who is now 92 years old, we're blessed to still have her with us. Papa passed away six years ago, come December. But just a great childhood, born at an early age. 
born the oldest of one child. (laughs) (laughs) And the youngest, both. Youngest and the oldest, yes. (laughs) So, George, tell us about the Southern Cross Ranch. What do you do there? Are you raising peanuts? Are you raising registered Keeninas? What are you doing there? Wagos, actually. (laughs) (laughs) No, all jokes aside, went to college, did some things in and out of the purebred industry, spent some time out of the place in Yukon, Oklahoma. Spent about two and a half years there. Had the opportunity to come back and be at least in the state of Georgia at a firm in Clarksville, Georgia. Enjoyed that. Would love to talk about the people that influenced me there. But that's going to be the part two of this interview someday, someday, because I know the story. What's interesting, our paths have crossed many times and probably neither one of us realized it until later in life. And I'm like, you were there? Well, I was there. (laughs) So that's really cool. But we will circle back to that for sure. Point being, I had the opportunity to finally migrate back to Georgia, as I say, being an only child. If you had the opportunity to know Papa, he was he's a little different breed. His whole deal was if you told him he couldn't do it, he'd prove that he could do it and he'd make it profitable. And grew up with a cow-calf operation. And then somebody told him that he couldn't feed cattle. And basically what he did was true. We couldn't feed them because we didn't have the numbers. But what he chose to do was we were working five sales a week and we had commission agents working around the southeast. And we would pretty much buy anything that nobody else wanted, whether it be a rat tail charlet, whether it be just a cutting bull, as the term goes. And we would bring them in, and there would be semis unloading from time to time all night. Our coolest thing, I suppose, was is that we actually, for better or for worse, I suppose we had the corner of the market on roping cattle, corientes and longhorns. We would bring them in, and obviously most of them would already been steered. We'd bring them in, we'd get them dehorned, and we'd get them straightened out on fescue grass, ryegrass, clover, whatever our, our pastures would sustain. We'd get them straightened out. They'd be eight, 900 pounds. They'd come in with a 1,000-pound frame and weigh 600. We'd get them dehorned, get them straightened out, and you can't kill one of them with a sharp stick, I promise you. And so we would get them dehorned. We'd get the horns healed up. We'd send them to feedlots in Iowa, Nebraska, and Texas. And we were basically making whatever money we possibly could on the margin because game was cheap back then. Now, obviously, yes, we did have to feed them longer. And it was nothing for us to have 12, 1500 head on feed all the time. And we still had our base cow herd, which wasn't very productive. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But we pretty much were a turnover operation. How many times would you flop that inventory, George? (sighs) Three weeks. Wow. And all the farming that you guys would do at that point was improving your pastures? Or did you have other crops that were folded into the operation as well? No, we never did any cropping. Only thing we did was try to improve our pastures. We would oversee. In fact, I will tell you this, that Alvin Chambers was the first person that had a no-till grain drill in Carroll County. We've actually gone off into a different direction. 
That's the cool thing about visiting with you, George, because I learn something new every time we talk. And I've never brought this up on any of our podcasts, but over my career, I've met a lot of folks like you and your family that basically started with very little, but they were great stewards of their livestock and their land. And they started and actually built a mini empire straightening out cattle. I can give you a long list of people that have done that. I would tell you that Papa was probably a lot better steward of his land and his soil than he was his livestock. Because as we go forward, I will tell you why after he passed away, I had to hold a dispersal. We'll get to that. Sure. Sure. Well, one of the things that I've recognized my short time in this industry is that, you know, you might want to say that that sort of philosophy is dead, that you can straighten out cattle. But I know quite a few people in our area, they'll go by the rankest, thinnest, wet two-year-old that came up open, and they will straighten her out, get her bread. And so there's still a place for stuff like that. Is that true for what you guys see? I mean, I might be going off the rails here. It is true on heiferettes, but probably not as much anymore. And quite frankly, the 30-month rule that came in, because I will tell you straight up, when we were buying those longhorns and corrientes, dehorning them, straightening them out, getting the horns healed up, sending them west, they were over 30 months whenever we got them. Okay, they were two, three years old. Hell, I don't know. They were over that. And the 30-month rule kind of wrecked us a little bit. But I will say this, that, you know, we were buying them on the margin, feeding on the margin, selling them on the grade and steel, and we did pretty well for a number of years. So we have some listeners, George, that are unlike us. We've been in this our whole lives, and, and this is all that we do. But for those folks that may be new to this or maybe not that deep into this side of it, explain for them the 30-month rule. Okay. So I can't recall, and I've got here with a handful of notes, I can't remember, but USDA determined over the 30-month rule, and it had to do with BSE. I'm not going to use the term that most people like, but I'm going to use the term BSE. (laughs) You mean the angry bovine? (laughs) It probably benefited the industry, probably benefited us all. But we actually had several hundred head on feed whenever that took effect. And we were not able to harvest those cattle. Mm. So we ended up sending them from a place in Iowa to a fat cattle auction in Ohio, and we lost our fannies. But George, correct me if I'm wrong here. The 30-month rule only impacts beef that's being exported, correct? David, I don't know that I can answer that because it was a nationwide rule, nationwide impact. I'll just add to the speculation for you guys because I don't know either. But I do think that it adds another cost because it's a specified risk materials, right? It's spinal cord, it's brain, it's those things. And those animals have to be all boned out, which adds cost to the deconstruction of the carcass. You're exactly right. But at that time, it was brand new. And well, if you had cattle that were suspect, you were under it. Now, as I say, I know ahead of time, most of those cattle were way over 30 months. So is that deal as subjective as EPDs and that they just guess that that animal might be over 30 months? Why does it always come back to EPDs? I didn't mean it doesn't. (laughs) Thanks, Corbin. Okay. We were having a benign episode. Thanks a lot. 
The hate mail's coming. That was kind of fun for me to throw that in there. I can't lie. <laughs> I think it's George can chime in again. And he, every once in a while, he skips and we step on him. But from what I understand, they look at the calcification of the spinal processes of the carcass. And for most of them, that happens at like 30 months. There's some that are over, some that are younger. Hell, every Here I Am show steer that sells across the country is about four years old. And some of them get to where they can't and some get where they can and they have to go bone out the carcasses. George, it's interesting though. I don't want to belabor this because I don't think this is me speculating. I don't think you think what you guys did is as interesting as I do. And I think part of that is, is we look at it like, are you a legitimate cattleman that wears the black cowboy hat and the bell buckle or are you not a legitimate cattleman? And, and there's a guy down the street from us who has carved out a living for several decades doing exactly what you do. He's got a deal with a feedlot in Delhart, Texas. They give him the forward contracting orders on those cattle. He knows how much money he can afford to pay for them. He puts together small bunches. He straightens them out. He got his wrist slapped here a couple months ago because he had some hard bones come through, but they've addressed that. And he don't take anything from anybody. I mean, that's the thing that always amazes me about my friend is very honest. He goes and he buys undervalued cattle. He straightens them out and there's no dishonesty about it. Those cattle are going to enter the supply chain. And we talk about, we love stacking gnats on a pinhead of genetic improvement, right? And how great we can make the great cattle. And everybody will talk about the guy that's buying the bull from the sale yard butcher pen and turning them out with his cows. Well, I got news for you guys. The genetic trend of all livestock, that tide is raised all the way through the production cycle. And even the quote unquote junk cattle are pretty damn feedable right now. And they're pretty damn good. Would you disagree with anything I just said, George? No, not, not only would I disagree with it, I would echo it to the term that times have changed. This would have been in the 90s and things weren't as tight so to speak, as they are now. But I would say this, and I would like to get down this road as far as genetics, because that's my background. As I mean, my, my master's is in reproductive physiology, my minor's in animal breeding. I want to go down this road. But yes, I mean, at that time, we made a fair bit of money just on upgrading, as you say, junk cattle. That's what we did. We would take them. They were mismanaged. They were gan as nine kinds of hell. They came from nothing. And whatever we did to them was an upgrade. And that's where we made our money back then. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. You do your best to provide the best care to your cattle, yet despite your efforts, the cycle of life and death is inevitable in this business. When losses occur, questions run through your mind. What more could I have done? Do I have daughters of that cow? How much semen do I have from that herd sire? But perhaps the most important question is, how do I protect and preserve my investments? Well, the answer is simple, cost-effective, and as easy as calling Creek Insurance, owned by friend of Angus Underground and fellow Angus breeder, David Yackley. Working with Liberty Mutual and American Livestock, Creek Insurance offers livestock mortality coverage for entire herds or individual animals and is catered to your specific needs. For those wishing to offer insurance to their customers, give Creek a call to arrange for David to be present at your production sale to answer questions and provide coverage. In addition to this important coverage, Creek Insurance also offers policies for home, auto, homeowners, farm, ranch, equine, and contractors. 
To find out how Creek Insurance can protect your investments, go to creekinsure.com or call 360-266-8000. Again, go to creekinsure.com or call 360-266-8000. Now back to the show. So, George, we're going to get back to your genetics program there at Southern Cross Ranch. But I, I want to touch on some other subjects. And by the way, before we move on, I know you've made some notes, but I think you're overlooking <laughs> the most important notes you could have there. Who is the real boss of Southern Cross Ranch? Who is the brains behind the outfit? Candy Chambers. That's what I thought. Candy Chambers. Yes, absolutely. Listen, <laughs> we dated for four years, October 27th. She was 20 years into her life sentence. <laughs> Listen, I will tell you up front, if we've ever had any disagreements, because I was wrong, she was right. <laughs> she comes from a tremendous background. Her daddy owned a stockyard in Bainbridge, Georgia, right on the Florida line. Her uncle, Max Harrell, was a partner in McLean Garrett Commission Firm, probably at that time the largest commission firm east of the Mississippi. Listen, I give her all the credit. She's the brains behind this whole deal. I screw up, she tells me. <laughs> I think at least two of the three of us, David and I, are definitely uh, guilty of being married to the Southern opinionated wife that's always right. Southern Belle. Southern Belle that's always right. There's no question. And I think Abby is probably that way. She's just not Southern. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to comment. <laughs> <laughs> She's not going to hear this, Joe. She won't listen. She won't listen. I know. <laughs> we have two people in this country that do not listen to this podcast. Unfortunately, one is married to Joe and one is married to Corbin. <laughs> <laughs> the first time that we bought bulls from David, and as I told you, I've, my history with getting to know David, and listen, I'm going to tell you something. I don't care if it's whatever you're doing, honesty and integrity, that's how we do business. Okay, I don't care if I'm buying a sack of feed or I'm buying a bull. She actually sat on the couch across from me during that sale. And she said, I never would have believed it. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, I never would have believed that George Chambers is buying a set of bulls and he hasn't seen them. I said, but I have seen them. She said, just on video. I said, yeah. I said, but I, I believe in this program. I believe in the honesty and integrity. And if it's not going to be right, they're going to fix it. So that means a lot to me. Yep. That, that's how we do business. That's the way we should all do business. I think if we all took time to listen to commercial cattlemen, that's what they'd all tell us, George. You're a commercial cattleman. Tell us what you want. I'll tell you exactly what I want. And unfortunately, the average cow herd in the state of Georgia, according to the numbers, has shrunk from 15 to 13. Okay. That puts us in the majority. I've got friends that have, obviously, more than 13. But our deal is this. is I mean, I just want you to be straightforward with me. But there's very few people in the state of Georgia that are trying to make a living with a cow. We just happen to be one of them. And so, you know, we have to be very careful what we do. We have to manage expenses. Obviously, all of our costs have gone up astronomically in the last 16 months. I'm not going to get into that politically. But I just want you to be honest with me. I want you to tell me what the honest birth weight is, 
what the honest weaning weight is, what the honest yearling weight is, and let me see its mama. I hope I'm not stepping on George's toes when I say this. I think we've gotten to the point in this wave of whatever we are and where we are unwilling to point out a cow's flaws. And I think we've got to get out of that. You know what? If I'm trying to sell you a bull, if I'm trying to sell David a bull, there's not one that's perfect. And I think each and every one of us has got to get over ourselves. Oh, absolutely not. We're not going to find the perfect animal. There's no question about that. But if you're going to be my genetic supplier as a commercial cattleman in at least my part of Georgia, all I need is those things and I need you to be sound. I need those bulls or those females, whether I'm purchasing replacement females, I'm making my own females from bulls that I have purchased from you. I need those four things and I need them to be sound. That's not too much to ask. George, let's talk about some of your other endeavors. We're going to come back to the ranch and talk cattle, but you also serve as a county commissioner in Carroll County, Georgia, correct? Yes, and actually, I'm not seeking re-election. I'm stunned. You must be running for governor then. Guy never knows. (laughs) (laughs) And you did share with me the other day, this was a neat fact. I mean, I knew you were a commissioner, of course, but you brought to my attention, you are the longest serving county commissioner ever in the county of Carroll, correct? That's what they tell me. 18 years. 16 years. 16. 16 is still a long time. I just want to say this. It takes a special individual to want to serve their community. You know, it's one thing to go volunteer for a day somewhere. But I know what you put into your role as a county commissioner. (laughs) It's a lot of meetings, a lot of patience. (laughs) A lot of (laughs) ass-chewings. Now, who would give you that? I thought Miss Candy was the only one allowed to do that. Oh, she can do it freely. So (laughs) (laughs) she doesn't have to call. Yeah. Oh, me. That's funny. That's funny. So, So what are some of the big issues that are on the plate right now in Carroll County? Oh, Gosh, I mean, we're 55 miles from downtown Atlanta. You know, our land values, we are still, fortunately, a largely rural county on the western side. See, we border Alabama on the west side. We border another rural county to the north, a relatively rural county to the south. And then we have Interstate I-20 that runs right over the top of us. So yeah, we're I mean, we're getting we're getting exploded. I think I told you last week, David, that we had a piece of property, fifty-five acres that sold that was in pasture land, sold for forty-five thousand dollars an acre. Goodness. That's what we look at is, you know, do I continue to hold this ranch together? Because we do have some woodland, very little, mostly for shade for the cattle. But we do have some woodland. But at the same time, I mean, you know, you get these offers that, you know, they'll, they'll kind of make a guy look at his future. Yeah, it will. It will. have to look at the legacy that was given to me, and I'm very thankful for that, and what Caleb and Taylor want to do. Yeah. I got to meet Caleb several years ago at the National Western Stock Show. When Yeah, he's a lot cooler cat than I am. <laughs> well, that's not saying a lot, but you're right. I know your kids are are real special. They're involved in a lot of different activities, and They're the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I've been a very 
very blessed person. Not only blessed to be able to inherit this ranch, but just I've done a whole lot of things I'm not proud of in my life. But my greatest accomplishment is, number one, that I'm a Christian and hope that I can. Oh, by the way, I still have a foul mouth. But (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I think we can all relate to that. And number two, I married a wonderful woman who I outpunted my coverage whenever I married her. And, you know, Caleb and Taylor. And yeah, I guess I guess I get a little bit emotional. I don't care. No, that's great. Those two kids of ours, they're complete opposites. They're my greatest contribution. Yeah, well, you've told me some stories about, of course, Taylor, she's a big softball player. Yeah, he's kind of a deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Caleb, this story you just told me uh, recently was fantastic. So he is interested in politics. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to steer him away from it because <laughs> I was hoping that maybe he wouldn't grow up to be like his daddy. But yes, he's uh, he loves politics. He loves political races. He's just different. I mean, for a 16-year-old. Well, we need some good, ethical, moral young people to pursue politics because I, we're not <laughs> going to get political tonight. I'm gonna, we're going to have a special episode on politics one of these days. It'll be our final one. But no, we need good young people that are backed with morals and ethics and from an agricultural background because they're going to need to carry the torch for the next generation. And I guess that's why probably I got backed into politics 16 years ago was because we had the whole wave, if you will, coming from Atlanta towards the state line. And somebody had to stand in the door and say, hey, we're not going to continue this, you know, one acre, half acre zoning where we can put two houses to every acre. That's how I got backed into this, quite frankly. I knew what this meant to my to my family. Well, I know it's impacting a lot of the country, this urban sprawl and even the valley that we live here in Northwest Montana does not resemble Valley that it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. What used to be some of the best farm ground in the Northwestern United States is now covered in houses. So I do appreciate your work as a county commissioner there in Carroll County. You are also have long been involved with RCAF. That's correct. Please tell our audience a little bit about RCAF and your involvement. Okay. So how I kind of got involved with that was Back in about 1998-99, was heavily involved with the Cattlemen's Association. Still respect Georgia Cattlemen's Association very much. Just didn't really like the direction that the national organization was going. David, you've known me long enough. I'm kind of an independent cuss. I just didn't like the direction that that was going. And at that time, RCAF was the alternative. So we, Papa and I, joined the organization in 1998 or 99, I can't remember, but early on. And we just decided that they, at that time, represented our beliefs more so than the traditional organizations. Just got to be a member, started going to the conventions, and somehow or another got involved in the leadership. And then got to be the Region 9 director. And then through a fluke, I guess I got to be president of the board for six years. So you are a political animal. (laughs) I believed in independence and still do. 
I think Pat Goggins was the one that said, as I recall, he said, if you show me a business that doesn't have any competition, I will show you a business I don't want to be in. And so if there's not any competition and the Sherman I Trust Act back in 23, 1923, I think it was, and the Clayton Act, if they busted up six packers, now we're only down to four, not discounting the regional packers, which I love. I wish, I hope they will continue to grow the regional packers. But if we're only down the four, the big four, as we call them, now don't tell me that they didn't get together one night in the bar and say, all right, boys, let's all make some money. I can't prove what I just said, but you asked me now, I've told you. <laughs> so I think a lot of us have seen it firsthand. And it's human nature. They're working on margins. And if they work, I'm going to say this word lightly, but if they work in collusion with each other, that's going to ensure that they all have a nice margin. But so, George, I and I don't want to dive into the politics of this too much. And I've asked you this question before. I'm going to ask you it again. Absolutely. Our nation's farmers and ranchers are an independent sort. You said so yourself. And I think that's that works to our benefit a lot of times. But I think as we're trying to grapple with this monopoly of these big four packers, we need to be unified. And right now we've got, I'm aware of three national associations of cattle producers, NCBA, RCAF, and USCA. And we spoke with Brooke Miller of USCA in one of our earlier episodes. I don't know Brooke, but I respect him. How do we get these three groups? And by the way, I'm going to go on record and say NCBA. There's a lot of conjecture out there, and I'd probably be one that would uh, put out the conjecture that they at times seem beholden to the Packers and specifically JBS. Especially now that today they've announced that former Speaker John Boehner is now on their board of directors. (laughs) Nice, nice. So how do we as an industry get everybody gathered into one room, get unified, and tackle this problem of what we see as a monopoly by these big four packers. You want me to tell you straight of it? Because you know I'm, I'm a plain-spoken person. I do. It ain't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> George, is that because some of these organizations are representing both sides of the coin. What caused that to change? Because I'm from middle America, just like you are. Two hours from the city centers. Every day you wake up wondering what piece of independence or right you had that was taken away from you or infringed upon. And it seems like we're playing defense all the time. In 98, 99, there was a big discussion in our local cattlemen's, and I would have been 15, 16 years old. I want to say it was during the merger, wasn't it? Isn't that the advent of a lot of the the change in the paradigm of how bargaining was happening in terms of representation of the commercial cattlemen? I was young, but in my judgment, I think that's exactly what happened. So it makes it difficult for some organizations to represent the buying and the selling end of something, frankly. You just hit it. Yes, absolutely. In my judgment, you just hit it. So George, I don't want to speed you through this, but I was reading your bio, David, set up here and and some of the things we wanted to talk about. And we have a similar thread. And I think it so echoes exactly how I was raised. And that's why I want to get to this point, because I'm actually this year I was elected to be on the state board for our Farm Bureau. What about Farm Bureau made you want to serve there? And tell us just briefly about your tenure with Farm Bureau. Okay, so I was on the state board of directors, Georgia Farm Bureau, for 20 years. 
it was one of those situations, at least how Georgia Farm Bureau is structured. You have two directors from each district. We have 10 districts. So that would be a 20-person board. And then you have a North Georgia, Middle Georgia, and South Georgia vice president. And then a president that is elected statewide. So unfortunately, Georgia Farm Bureau has changed somewhat. Whenever I went on as a director in 2001, we were still holding the line, and we still hold the line. I'm I'm not bashing, okay? We're still holding the line. But it seems like that some of the traditional, at least from the beef standpoint, are infiltrating more and more their concept into Farm Bureau policy. Now, I can only say that. I can tell you this, that in 2004, there was a person, and I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes, but I did it because I believed it was right, and I still believe it's right. In 2004, I believe it was, perhaps three, I think it was four, at the convention in New Orleans, there was somebody that stood up and introduced a resolution that American Farm Bureau changed their position from voluntary to mandatory country of origin labeling. I'm still a believer in that. If that goes contrary to you guys' beliefs, I'm sorry, that's fine. I just believe in that. Well, guess what? I got enough votes and got it passed. Got American Farm Bureau's policy changed from voluntary to mandatory. All right. I don't know if I'm right or wrong. I just know what I believe. We were able to do that. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to be a part of that board is because I could hopefully step forward and change policy that somewhere down the line we could influence national politics. And I guess I'll tell you, that's I don't need to get into the political weeds because my tenure is young on the board, but but I've been a delegate for 15 years from my county. And for anybody that's listening, I'll make it brief. The beauty of Farm Bureau is you can actually change stuff. I mean, for real, the mode of governance is the model that nonprofit membership organizations should be following, at least in California, in my mind. I could have an idea in Placer County, bring it to my district representative. He brings it to the boardroom. It goes through the policy resolution committee. It comes up as policy. In basically 12 months, we could be lobbying for and against that cause. And I'm not going to disagree with you, George. I mean, there's, there's some holes in ideology. And I think that it gets down to what universities are teaching now. It's, it gets down to a bigger discussion that's way too long for this podcast. But the point I wanted to make is governance of Farm Bureau is probably as purely grassroots and as beneficial as a representative body of agriculture of anything I've had the pleasure of being involved in. And that's why I continue to make the effort. As long as you're doing the right things for the right reasons, you can make a change. I agree. So, George, we're a cattle podcast. Uh, so, and that's what I eat, sleep, and breathe. So let's talk more about the Southern Cross Ranch's genetics program. I mean, you're a commercial cow-calf outfit, but you have a plan. And to me, it seems like a very well-thought-out, well-organized plan genetically. I know you use Angus, you use some other breeds. Take us behind the curtain and show us what's there. Okay, I'm afraid it's probably going to be a dim look, but <laughs> I will tell you what happened. I've touched on it briefly. Whenever I got out of the show cattle world, so to speak, whenever I got all that out of my system 
I left Yukon, Oklahoma. I was fortunate to do one thing that I kicked off my bucket list. I was able to go to work for Ankeny Angus for about two and a half years. And David, you and I have talked about this. This is how many times our paths have crossed but haven't crossed. I will still say this, that probably the four people outside of Papa that have shaped my thinking as far as breeding cattle, I'm not talking about let's let's just kick the show barn out the window, is probably number one, Bill Couch. And if you've blessed enough to be around Bill, you just need to shut your mouth and open your ears. (laughs) Great cattleman. Great cattleman. Another one was Alex Dace, a black man from Arizona. David, did you know him by chance? Just by reputation. That's it. Just a smart, common sense kind of guy. Met him many years ago, was actually showing a bull for the firm that I worked for in Oklahoma. He was judging the New New Mexico State Fair. And this old bull, he's about hard-headed as I am. And whenever he went to walk between him and the bull that was behind us in the senior division, I just looked at him and I said, Mr. Alex, I said, I don't believe I'd want to do that. I said, he's a little bit ticky. And uh, he said, well, thank you, son. And it didn't bother me. He even called me son. So we went on through. And actually, the bull that I was sticking for that firm Ended up being champion bull at New Mexico State Fair. But uh, <laughs> he came up to me after we took pictures at the backdrop. He said, you're not from around here, are you? I said, no, I'm from Georgia. And he said, I can tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what gave it away? I guess it's probably my accent. <laughs> but uh, just a great guy. And I began to follow him and just, just common sense. While I was working for that, Deal. I mean, Jeff Eckhoff, you talked about, talked about that. I mean, just hard nosed cattleman. He told me one time we were sending some heifers from the show barn out to him. And he said, I don't understand. He said, You guys send me these blankety blank heifers and want me to make cows out of them. And, and that was great. And I guess the other thing was, was working for Phil White. There at Anthony. I mean, he's he's seen a lot of things and and uh, you know, very opinionated, probably didn't have a whole lot, you know, as far as today's show cattle, but just knew how to feed one, how to get one conditioned, how to get one ready. And so all those kind of went into my line of thinking, influenced me quite a bit. You bring up a good point, and hopefully one of these days we'll do an episode where we talk about mentors and who has shaped us, not only as people, but what we do professionally and the influences we've had in shaping our vision as we create cattle and create our programs. I enjoy hearing your list there because a couple of those I've known over the years, Bill Couch and Phil White, Phil always held a a uh, special place in my heart because uh, Phil was truly dedicated to what he was doing. And if I had one man in my dream team to help me get a set of cattle ready for sale or exhibition, I mean, Phil White would be leading that team. If you guys would real quick, though, for our younger listeners, go through that list of influencers and just say the ranch names that would have been associated with them real quick, David. Well, Bill Couch. Bill Couch is a longtime breeder in more than Angus. Oh, Simmentals. Simmentals, yes. 
And so he finished his career there at Express Ranches. He was integral into helping them get, get established. He was the guy initially. He was the whale. Yeah. And he would have been the guy at that time if you wanted to pursue the industry the way that Express Ranches did in the show world and and also producing good productive cattle as well. I mean, Bill Couch was the guy that you wanted. So that was really neat. I don't know Alex Dees like George does, but Jeff Eckhoff also at Express Ranches. And Jeff's been with them for, geez, I don't know if since day one, but but dang close, right, George? They brought him in from day one to manage the old BNL herd. Yeah, great cattleman. I don't know him personally, know him by reputation. And then Phil White, Phil White, oh my gosh. We don't have an episode long enough <laughs> to list all the places that he had an impact on in his career, but he finished out there, I believe, at Ankeny in Clarksville, Georgia, with the esteemed Virgil Lovell. I'm Robert Whitaker with BreederLink, where our focus is on balanced traits and bulls with females behind them. This is Lex Carter from BreederLink, and we're excited to be a part of your program. We have assembled a group of bulls that we think fit a lot of different environments that have diversified pedigrees and will work in a lot of different situations. This spring, BreederLink is offering a special of 50 units at 10% off, 100 units at 20% off, and you can mix and match the bulls to get the bulls you want to use in your program. One of the challenges in the semen business is the shipping aspect of getting the semen to your farm or ranch. We've tried to simplify that process by being able to ship anywhere in the U.S. for a maximum of $75. We hope that that helps you be able to access the good bulls at BreederLink at a reasonable price. You can get in touch with BreederLink by going to the web and typing in www.breederlink.com or you can call Robert Whitaker at 540-247-4282. You can also call me, Lex Carter, at 208-681-9711. We'd love to visit with you at any time. Thanks. And thank you, Angus Underground, for your support. So, George, let's circle back to your cows. That's what I really want to dive into here. So I know you use Angus cattle because you've bought some bulls from me. Yeah. But what other breeds do you use in your rotation there? Okay, so let me back up just a tick, and then I'll move forward. When Papa passed away, there was, and then I, I guess some people look at it, and some people have told me that, why would he dare do this to you? But there was a call to seal in his will that said that any cow that was not wholly owned by Miss Candy and I, we had to disperse the herd within three years. Now, people that didn't know him, didn't know him like I did, because like I said, he was my my partner. What he actually did was he did me a favor, simply because that he and I probably did not see things the same way. He was giving me an opportunity to disperse those cows that were not wholly owned by Miss Candy and I, and to give us some equity to start over. And probably the best thing he could have done. People in the community, they said, well, Alvin made you sell the herd. No, Alvin didn't make me sell the herd. He gave me and Miss Candy the opportunity to start over. Probably the best thing he ever did, quite frankly. I think that's that's a legacy that he left, is that he knew 
in his latter days that we probably did not, even though we were still partners, we never did not get along, so to speak. We might have differences of opinion, but we never did not get along. But that gave us the opportunity to, as I say, I'm for better or for worse, I'm an only child. Um, but that gave us the opportunity to start over from the cows that she and I owned wholly and to start over. As I say, I think it's a blessing instead of a curse. So that being said, Miss Candy probably knows cow better than I do. So we had the opportunity to sell those cows and to start over. We uh, decided that we wanted to go with a more traditional base, went with some um, commercial Angus cows that we had purchased from uh, Kyle Galilee, actually. Jim Galilee's son down at Wadley, Georgia. They actually... Oh, gosh, I guess two years. They offered a set of bred F1 Hereford Angus cows that were bred to Angus bulls. I guess the first draft of them was like 70 or whatever in their production sale, and we bought them all. The next year, I think it was uh, another set of probably 50 or 60 commercial Angus with some F1s pitched in there. We bought the wholesale again. And that was a pretty significant investment. It goes back to what I said early on. You buy from people that have integrity. You buy from people that will stand behind their product sitting on that couch. Miss Candy said, I never thought I'd see a time that George Chambers was buying bulls. And I said, I just believe in the program. And I know the people that stand behind them. That's the integrity piece that I talk about. And they've been successful for us. Now, we have retained subsequent heifers from those matings. We need, at least in my part of the country, and, you know, for our market, we need to ape to no more quarter ear. We use our Brangus bulls that come from Town Creek Farm in Columbus, Mississippi. Honest, good Brangus bulls. We purchase them. We use them. They work very well back on, on these F1s. And that's kind of where we're at. And we retain females and we've had an opportunity from time to time to sell some subsequent females that will work in somebody else's herd but that's been our base after we had to rebuild i think you're probably underselling that a little bit george <laughs> because i i know you by reputation as well and i know that yeah your feeder calves your feeder steers command top price there's a reason why because you do the right things for the right reasons and Whenever we've been fortunate enough to sell our calves, you know, you can do the video thing and that's fine. And maybe we should. But we've had a long-standing reputation with Roanoke Stockyard, Roanoke, Alabama, right across the line from us. And the Green family, Mr. Don, Cal, Chad, whenever those calves are ready to go, all right, they'll be weaned, preconditioned. We put all the bells and whistles on them we can unless you want me to do tops and tail heads. I don't care. But they just do an excellent job. And I'll tell you, friend, I'm a sale barn junkie. Man, I believe in public auction. I mean, auction means action. But they've been mighty good to us. I think you're doing extremely well selling replacement heifers as well. That's the one point I wanted us not to skirt by. You've been very astute in your breeding program. And I know when folks in the Southeast, if they want first-rate females that'll go out and do the job and do it well, Southern Cross Ranch is one of the places they're going to look. I think you're overestimating. <laughs> I have a follow-up, though, George, maybe you can expand on, because 
I think this would be really interesting to our listeners. You just shared with us in the beginning of this episode that you had a major in reproductive physiology and a minor in animal genetics, or maybe I had those two backwards. I myself am an animal scientist as well. I don't wear a lab coat, but that's what my bachelor's degree is. Proof that Barry College could not grant students tenure, so they granted me a diploma. That's (laughs) (laughs) So so, my point is, how is someone that is so educated in the world of genetics decide after all these years of experience, the best model is maybe the simplest? You're using some of the very most simple crossbreeding techniques and environmental adaptability techniques and observation traits. You don't overcomplicate it. You know your market. What led you down that road and that sort of philosophy? I'll tell you exactly why. You breed for what you can sell. Okay, you breed for what you can sell. And as I said, we need an eighth to no more than a quarter ear on our females that we retain, on our calves that we sell. They need to shed early in the year. We don't need a whole bunch of woolly hair in other parts of the country, up in David's country, maybe in California. I don't know. But I know what we need to do. When they send seven semis over here to haul those cattle whenever we sell our calves, we need them to be slick-hided or at least showing that they're slicking off because they're going to go to Flint Hills. They're going to go to Osage. That's where these calves are going to end up. That was one of the first things. And David, I'm sorry if I'm fixing to pick on you, but when you and I first visited, gosh, five, six years ago, I asked you one thing. I said, will these bulls sire hair? And you said, no. And I have proven that you can bring bulls out of Montana. They'll come down here and they won't sire hair. That was just a wild guess, by the way. So, George, I got a question for you. Do you guys do any AI? No, we don't. We've owned several bulls. Quite frankly, we've owned a national champion Charlet bull. Back in 2001, we've owned a national champion angus bull in 2017 we're just not set up quite frankly it's just me and miss candy maybe we should work harder (laughs) but we're not set up to mass ai you run some pretty good bulls i don't think you need ai this coming from the guy that i bought them from right (laughs) well i i know where you've bought some of the others and they're darn good bulls so this is an odd question coming from a guy in Montana. You get up here and everything's either black or white or red and white or straight red. What in the world is an ultra black? An ultra black is a high percentage. It was actually, I guess, trademarked by Town Creek Farm there in Columbus, Mississippi. A Brangus, as I have been taught, is a 5H3H. Brahmin influence. An ultra black is anything above a five eights. So the reason we don't use ultra blacks, and gosh, I mean, they make some phenotypically fine individuals. The reason we don't use them is because our base cow herd is, well, at least these days, pretty much out of Montana Ranch, (laughs) Angus Bulls, and our foundation females, and I don't need to increase the Angus percentage in them. I need to catch that hybrid bigger from the boss indicus. When you're selecting bulls, George, what are the traits that you most value? As a commercial producer in the state of Georgia, I said this early on. I mean, we've shrunk from mm-hmm. 15 head to, as I understand, 13 head is the average. So there's not a whole lot of us that are trying to make a living with a cow. 
as I've backed out of politics and just trying to keep my family alive, I guess the main thing is reproductive efficiency, soundness. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, because they have to go up and down these hills. In the earlier podcast, talked about this. I mean, it gets pretty muddy. We need to keep them cattle sound. We need to keep their hooves good and clean. I guess as far as traits, I want them to calve in easy. Now, I'm not looking for a 60-pound calf. I mean, I think that's backing up. We can deal with anything, at least on our herd, anything that's 82 to, and I will be very straight with you, we don't weigh them. We're out of that business. But I can deal with anything that's 80 to 85 pounds. Most of them, a whole lot lighter, quite frankly. But I want them to do that. The main thing I want to do is whatever daughters that we retain, I want them to calve in, get up, nurse that calf, and go be a mama. That's very important. And there's nothing that drives me batshit crazy more than a cow that won't take care of her calf. And I don't care if it's a virgin heifer or if it's a 12-year-old cow. That drives me crazy. Other thing is, is, you know, they've got to get out here on this end of fight infected fescue. They've got to live. They've got to nurse. Now, yes, we do need to be on a different plane of mineral. A lot of people do, okay, because we've got to feed for this endophyte infected fescue that we graze on. Now, we've done a lot of things, and a lot of this goes back to Papa, as far as overseeding, as far as introducing legumes, as far as crimson clover, white clover, hairy vetch. Those are all things that will break down, but they're also nitrogen-fixing legumes, which Nitrogen back in the soil, and last time, I'm, I'm sure you guys, if y'all have priced any fertilizer recently, it ain't cheap. Mm-hmm. They've got to perform with minimal inputs, and this was even before the times we're in now. They've got to perform on their own. Now, yes, we're going to put the best water in front of them we can. We're going to do our best to put the best forage in front of them that we can. We're still based off of a Kentucky 31 endified infected fescue. We're going to give them the best mineral we can. We're going to try to take care of them. Things still happen, but that's basically what our cow herd is based off of. Indeed. So you shared uh, an interesting, I don't know if it's a story, but you were talking about the average cow herd size there in Georgia in one of our previous conversations. Listen, here I am. I complained to Corbin for bringing up EPDs, and, and here I go. I'm going to circle us back to it. <laughs> <laughs> but you said something interesting about some of these guys that buy bulls. With their 13 cows, so these other guys haven't heard it. Tell us that story. Okay. So I don't remember if it was the last time you and I visited or a couple of times before or whatever. I mean, not not picking on any particular traditional association or whatever, but I had the opportunity or misfortune or whatever to manage a couple of stockyards back in my younger days. You know, these guys would bring their calves in and think where you're trying to get me to go with this, David. (laughs) I'm not trying to lead you anywhere. Come on. Was the fact that I said that in the southeastern United States, and especially Georgia, we're the only area that we can sell our calf crop three times a year. Christmas, tax time, or when we can catch them. (laughs) I love it. That is, unfortunately, our marketing plan, traditional. Right. (laughs) Had these guys that would come up and say, well, uh, you know, I went and bought a bull from XYZ. Okay, why? Well, you know, I was at the Young Farmers Meeting, or I was at the Cattlemen's Association, or whatever, and they said, I, I need to 
buy a bull that will put more marbling into my calves. Why? You've got 10 cows. <laughs> You've got 20 cows. You sell them, as I say, three times a year. <laughs> Who's going to reap the benefits? Yeah. That's just what I heard. We, we need to buy these high EPD bulls that we can put more marbling. We put more carcass into it, so to speak. Well, you don't reap those benefits. You're not retaining ownership on them. You're not putting a reputation behind your brand. Why are you going to go and spend four, five, six thousand dollars on this numbered bull and not picking on numbers? Okay, that's their believe in them. I believe more in reputation than I do the numbers. And you guys have talked for the last episodes about numbers, especially on on carcass numbers, and that's fine. I think there is something to that, but. You've got to reap the benefits before you spend the money to buy this high-numbered bull that may or may not last you two or three years because he's crippled or may, may not. Uh, yeah, I see you laughing. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, no, yeah, I knew where you were going to go with this because of our previous conversation, but it's so simplistic what you're saying, and a lot of people don't see that. They don't see it. They they listen to the extension agent or uh, the guy from the bull stud or the regional manager from whatever association. And that's great. That's great. If you've got truckloads of cattle that you're going to retain ownership on in the feedlot. And you've got 12 head, David. It oh, geez. Work. You have been bled on this end because you were told that you need to increase your marbling. You need to increase your whatever, but you're selling your calves at auction, which I, I'm guilty of, but I'm selling them drafts at the time. I'm not selling them three times a year. And then you wonder why you can't remain profitable. Most guys that are at least in my part of the country, they have just enough land and raise just enough cattle to pay their property tax. I love that. That means that the land staying in the family, the family staying on the land. I'm all about that. But you're not trying to make a living with it. In my judgment, you're getting sold a bill of goods. Keep it simple and apply logic. It's that simple. Hey, you've got another saying. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's right. What else did I tell you the other day? Ain't no step too high for a high stepper. Big stepper. <laughs> See, I got it wrong. I love that saying, by the way. And the other one is, is where will you be when you get where you're going? In my judgment, that, that's an Alvin Chambers saying, where will you be when you get where you're going? And that applies to breeding programs. That applies to life. That applies to your faith. Amen. Amen. Yeah, indeed. And so Corbin's homework preparing for the next episode, I want you to answer that question for us. I'll work on it. I'll work on it. <laughs> I would love to hear the answer because I don't know where I'm going to be, whether it's our herd, whether it's within life, whatever. I think there's an ultimate goal. You just keep progressing forward, whether it's progressing forward with your genetic program, whether you're purebred or commercial, whether you're progressing forward in your life, your faith, your whatever. That's a good way to wrap right there. I think that's probably the simplest thing, maybe the simplest thing you've said, and it says so much. And I appreciate you bringing that to us. And I think that's the truth. Like we spoke about before we, I guess we supposedly went on air, whatever, whether you're purebred, whether you're commercial, you're whatever, 
you've got to have an end goal. My end goal is three things. I want to go to heaven and I want to bring as many people as I can with me. Number two, I want to be the best husband and the best father that I can. And I haven't done a very good job of that in some instances, but I'm not where I used to be, but at least I'm, I'm getting better. And number three, I want to produce the most wholesome product that I can at the best profitability off of the land that I received that I was blessed with from my family from the last six generations. You know what? I think that's going to be a fun episode. We need to do that episode. Producer Shauna, if you're still with us, maybe write that down where we, we talk about where we're going to be when we get where we're going. Cause I have some ideas and I almost wish we'd have done this recording in reverse. Cause I think that's a cool, that's a cool prompt, George. And I appreciate your, your father sharing that with us. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. And it's pretty profound and you're right. And it applies in all facets of life and especially in our breeding programs. Well, George, I tell you what, this has been a real pleasure and I appreciate you spending the time with us. You know, when we started this podcast, we talk about being blessed. I've been blessed to know a lot of interesting and, and people that I deem as cool through my professional career. And I have these great conversations. And my goal with these podcasts were to bring all my friends and listeners and people that I encounter in this industry on the inside of those conversations, let them hear it. And uh, I know I've had a ton of these great conversations with you, George, and I, I do sincerely appreciate your time. Um, I know you're a busy guy and uh, thank you for uh, enlightening us about you, your family and Southern Cross Ranch. I think maybe I've dumbed you down. No, heavens no. <laughs> Until next time, we look forward to seeing you all back here again in two weeks. Until then, let's keep it underground. This episode of Angus Underground was brought to you in part by Montana Ranch, the source for balanced trade Angus, which are different by design. If you love this episode, head over to where you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and review. Also, check us out on social media where you can interact with us and to suggest subjects that you'd like us to cover on upcoming episodes.